The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Oh man, this is so exciting. My son Gabe was preaching this weekend at the central campus in Tulsa. And my wife was sharing this with me this morning about oh about 6:30. Uh she said, uh, you know, I listened to Gabe and he said he said, you know, we define who we are a lot more by who we influence than by what we do. He said a lot more of what we're supposed to be doing is about who we influence. And you know, I turned the church over to my oldest son three years ago, and I have to tell you, it's, it's different not being in charge. <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, there's been a lot of stuff I would have done differently and, and some people I would probably not have. And, <laughs> Some people I probably would have. It just, I don't care who you are. You're, you're going to do things differently. But I started thinking about what I'm doing in these days and where I go, what I do, and so forth. And i got to tell you, the doors that have opened to me have been opened to these hundreds, not just a few, but hundreds of these young pastors who grew up watching me when they were little. And we have such a great relationship. And they're all over America and then there are a few that were actually in our church, and Josh being one of them. And Josh, I am so proud of you, and I thank God for you. You guys have done such an amazing job. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And it's my honor to be here, especially on your fifth anniversary. Well, if you've got a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, look at the screen, 1 Samuel thirteen twenty-two. So on the day of battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan, had a sword or a spear in his hand. Now that may make you wonder about what I'm going to talk about today, but it's very, very important to what we're going to talk about because it perfectly illustrates how we act when we go to battle. The tools that we use in spiritual battles are not physical, they are not natural weapons, but there is something that we can learn by looking back to the Old Testament and reading about these guys who had natural swords, spears, or in this case, guys that didn't have them. It doesn't matter how much enthusiasm you have, how motivated you are, when you go to war and you don't have a weapon, your enthusiasm doesn't take you that far. Your motivation does not take you that far. You go only as far as your tools. You know, if you had a task to perform, maybe you've got to cut a board in two. And uh, I was building some shelves at the house last week and, and I didn't have some of the saws that I used to have when we had a big shop and I could use the radial arm saw and pull it right across that board and cut the most perfect 90 degree angle in a board. But now I've got the skill saw. And I got to tell you, I'm not very good with a skill saw. I, I, I try to square up. I always cut just a little long so I could, you know, try again if I messed up. 
and I was always having to cut two and three times to get a 90 degree angle on that. Uh, but what would happen if I took my fingernails and started trying to rub a notch across that board and cut it with just the tips of my fingers? That'd be foolish, wouldn't it? Or if I took uh, my fist and began to pound a nail trying to drive it into a board with just my fist? Or what if I tightened up the lug nuts on our car and hoped that I could get them as tight as possible only to find out that the wheel comes off later on. That actually happened to me when I was a kid. The guy changed our tire at the gas station and didn't tighten the lug nuts and we're driving down the road at a full head of steam and wheel comes off and it's a miracle of God nobody was hurt. But what I want you to see is that it's important that we make connection with the tool. And you don't touch the board with your hand. You touch it with the saw. You don't touch the nail with your fist. You touch it with the hammer. You don't touch the lug nut with your hand, with your fingers. You touch it with your wrench. And when we get into battle, it is important that you keep a tool between you and the enemy who is attacking you. And what happens is when people get into battle, instead of putting the tool to the enemy, they are personally trying to connect with the enemy. And that's where you're going to be beaten. Let the tool make the contact. When you try to resist the temptations and the attacks that come against you from Satan, when you're in a battle and you're doing it only with your own thinking and only with your own feelings, what happens is you are now taking it personally. And this is where a lot of people go. A lot of people get washed into a place in the stream where they're over here on the side where the water is spinning but not going anywhere. And the reason that that happens to them is because when they get into a battle, they fall into this never-ending circle where they're asking this question, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening? Why did this come? Why am I facing this? Why did this come? And that is a totally useless exercise. To put it plainly, I can answer your question. Why is it happening to you? Because you have two eyes and a nose, two arms, two legs, ten fingers and two toes. You look like God. You were created in his image. Satan hates him, can't do anything to him, but since you're here, he will take you. And so he comes at you because you represent God. Don't take it personally and don't ever again ask the question, why is this happening to me? Because whenever a temptation or a struggle or a trial comes your way, it's not important why it happened. Now, there are some things that we cause but get over it. Move past it. God wants you to get out, whether you caused it or whether it came upon you without you doing anything. And you can spend all kinds of time when you're in the heat of a battle trying to wrestle with an idea that really isn't important at all. Why is this happening to me? 
The idea is you want to win. You want to defeat the enemy. So how you respond is not personally. Interestingly, we have two different renderings of Jesus fighting a direct battle with Satan. And it is in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, where he was tempted three times, and in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, where he was tempted three times. And the Bible says that when Satan tempted him, he never one time answered out of his own personal feelings. If Jesus felt something about this temptation, he didn't say it. He never launched a personal attack against Satan. He never said, you're a creep. I hate your guts. Just want to remind you, you're going to hell. I'm going to be happy when you do. He didn't say any of that. He said, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written. And instead of answering with his own feeling, he answers with the word of God. He's putting his tool directly onto the problem. Are you with me? He's put the screwdriver into the head of the screw. He's put the hammer on the nail. He put the saw on the board. He's touching the attack with the appropriate tool. And what happens is a lot of believers don't have the faintest idea how to use a tool in the time of attack. They have no idea how to apply the tool. And they're no different than the men in the Israeli army who other than Saul and Jonathan, none had swords. Now, you know what they had? They had slingshots and they slung stones and they were good at it. And there were cases where the slingshots were amazing, but they were incomplete. A slingshot could knock a man down and in some cases kill him. We know the story of David knocking the giant down. I don't think when Goliath fell, I don't think he was totally dead. I think he was unconscious. He needed to be finished off, but David had no sword. But when you walk with God, God always provides, and Goliath brought a sword to the battle. So David said, if you don't mind, I'm going to borrow your own sword, cut your head off. So he chopped his head off, but he had to have a sword. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. A sword is a close quarters weapon. In other words, if you're at that door and I'm here on this platform, I've got a sword, it's really ineffective at this range. It is for close in and personal attacks. And today I'm talking primarily about fear and fear is a close quarters battle because the battleground is not 50 yards away from you. The battleground is not in the next neighborhood. The battleground is not in the next state. The battleground is so close, it's right in your mind. And you will have to learn to fight close quarters battles. And if you don't, you're going to have a very difficult time overcoming the enemy. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse three, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not natural, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And here the apostle Paul is describing a four-step process that Satan uses to gain entrance into your life. And it's in reverse, by the way. He doesn't start with strongholds. Casting down or pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 
when Satan comes at you, he starts with a thought. It's not a stronghold yet. It's a thought. Has God said you cannot eat of every tree in the garden? Just a thought. And because the thought was not resisted, then he takes it to another level. And finally, he gets over into the realm of imagination and shows Eve the fruit. And she's imagining how brilliant she's going to be if she eats this fruit. She's got this imagination. She didn't resist at any step along the way. And Adam didn't help her. So here she is going through this whole process. And she finally falls into doing what she did. And there's a stronghold developed. A stronghold is a response in your brain where you are pre-wired. You've been trained just like a dog gets trained. You, you train to do a certain thing. And when you are confronted with a certain stimulus and you're, you're approached with a certain thought or a certain event happens, you have a way of responding. That's a stronghold. Some people have a stronghold of, of becoming angry. The minute that certain things happen, they, 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 they blow up and they've been trained to do this. Other people are different. They have a, 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 a stronghold that causes them to become so fearful that they give in to oppression. The minute that they are hit with a certain set of circumstances. I had a stronghold with the mail. Post office. <laughs> Hated it. See, I was a young minister my parents did absolutely nothing, and I mean nothing. They taught me one thing about money, only one thing. The only lesson I ever heard from mom or dad about money is you don't know the value of a dollar. That was the sum total of my teaching on money from my parents. You don't know the value of a dollar. So I guess I didn't know the value of a dollar. <laughs> so I got into ministry, and I did not know how to balance a checkbook. To me, an outstanding check was any check, $50 or more. That's an outstanding check. <laughs> I had no idea how you balanced a checkbook. And to make matters worse, in those days in that small Texas panhandle town where I lived, you could write counter checks. I never had personalized checks, no numbered checks. Every time you went to the grocery store or to the drug store or to a clothing store or to get gas, I would grab whatever counter check was on the table and I would write a counter check. Well, you would lose track of that. So how did I keep up with my bank balance? I would go to the bank and I said, could you tell me what my balance is? And they would run the numbers and hand me a little piece of paper. And I thought, great, I got way more money than I thought I did not realizing that some of those outstanding checks had not landed yet at my bank. So I learned what an overdraft was. <laughs> and I went to the post office and found out that I didn't have enough money in my account. So I borrowed some money, put it in the bank. They said I was overdrawn $15, so I put 20 bucks in my account. And the next day, I found out I was overdrawn again. Every business day of that month, I got an overdraft notice from our bank. And there were charges piling up, $5 for every bounce check. And so I am getting further and further and further behind. 
I went to go talk to the bank. They were pretty upset with me. I was doing as best I could. I thought it was a personal attack. I came back and attacked them. It was a big, stinking mess. But I developed post office fear syndrome. And for the longest time, I couldn't stand to go into the post office because every time I went to the post office, something bad happened. I got an overdraft notice. Now, my wife, on the other hand, loves the mail. She loved to go to the mailbox that was two miles away from her home. It's where their mailbox was. And when she was too young to drive, her parents would let her drive on the ranch road in the car to go get the mail. She loved getting the mail. I hate getting the mail. I still don't like getting the mail to this day. Bad stuff comes in the mail. I still feel some of those things. Now, I overcame it, but the point is I developed a stronghold. Certain things happen. Oh, I hate it. That's what happens when we get into certain circumstances. Fears grow strong because we don't know how to resist. And we fall into the same old behavior, time in and time out, because Satan has developed a stronghold in our minds. Am I helping anybody? So all he has to do to get you into fear is just push a couple of buttons and he knows what your typical response is gonna be because you use your own imagination against yourself and you see things. Isn't it amazing how negative we are? It's the red light. The light's green a whole lot of the time, but we don't call it a green light. Go down here to the green light. Go down here to the red light. Go down here to the stop light. But it's never the green light. We get mad at somebody in traffic and roll down the window. Nobody ever says, go to heaven! I mean, if the purpose is for them to get off the earth, why not send them to heaven instead of the other place? <laughs> we're negative. We think negative if we're not careful. So what I want you to see is that fear works against your mind to bring paralysis. Now, the devil doesn't want you to learn about these weapons. Listen to this. This goes back to the first scripture we read in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 13, 19, it says, Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. Isn't it interesting that the Philistines, the enemies of Israel, didn't say, We got to keep these guys from being enthusiastic? They didn't say, We've got to keep these guys from being motivated. They didn't say we've got to keep these guys from being charged up. We've got to keep them away from inspirational speakers. They said we've got to keep them from obtaining the right weapons. And that's what the devil wants to do in the church. Loads of believers go to church week in, week out, and never come out with a weapon. And they're never taught how to utilize an effective weapon. Wow. Now, the Bible tells us that we have effective weapons to use. And the list is found in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. And it says, put on the whole armor of God, Ephesians six eleven, that you may be able, everybody say able. able. 
that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. A couple of things I want to point out about this. Two important words. One is able and the other is wiles. You're not even able to stand against the devil if you don't know about your weapons. It's not a matter of whether you want to or not. You don't have the ability. I remember when I was a sophomore in high school, we were playing a football game one night out in the Texas Panhandle, and this kid across the line from me was whipping my tail all night long. And I got fired up against him. And I stood up there one time right before we snapped the ball, and I said, I'm going to kill you. I thought maybe if I said that, it might change something. It changed nothing. He kept whipping my tail all night long. Didn't matter how bad I wanted to. Did I want to whip it? Yes. Did I want to stop being knocked to the ground? Yes. But didn't matter what I wanted. I did not have the ability to do anything about it. Well, we moved. We moved to, we moved to Dallas. And my new high school's got 2,600 kids, not 175. And out of survival, I've got to go to the weight room. And so I go to the weight room, and it worked. And I started working out till the coaches had to go home, and they'd come in and run me out. We all locked this place up, get out of here. So I'd go home, and I still wasn't done. I'd go home and stand on my head in the hallway and do push-ups upside down. My socks would rub patterns on the wall in the hallway in our apartment. And I would wait till my brother got home and I'd say, hey, get on my shoulders. And I would do push-ups off the bed where my feet are up on the bed. He's sitting on my shoulders. He's a seventh grader. And I am just doing push-ups right and left. And, and then when push-ups weren't enough because I couldn't get enough weight resistance, I started doing them with one arm on either hand. And so I never after that time ever told anybody, I'm going to kill you. You don't have to. You just kill them. <laughs> you don't have to say anything. You just, the guy says, whoa, whoa, please don't do that again. I mean, I had ability. You can have all the want to in the world, but if you don't have the ability, then you're hurt. That you may be able to stand against the might of the devil. That's not what it says. The Bible doesn't say we have to stand against the might of the devil because he never beats you with might. Greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. Satan cannot overcome you with might. The Bible never emphasizes his might. It is his trickery that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He has to get you to fight yourself. You're your own worst enemy. We fall right into what he wants us to do. And if we don't learn how to properly use our tools, he will beat us with our own club. So you stand against the wiles of the devil. Then Paul says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That word, word there is not the ordinary Greek word for word of God. It's a different word. It is the word rhema, which means the spoken word of God. The Bible tells us that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword in Hebrews 4.12. One edge is when God speaks, and one edge is when you and I speak. And the word never becomes a sword in our mouths until we speak it.
It's there, but if we don't speak it, it doesn't become the sword. We have to learn to respond with the sword. Now listen, if you're going to fight effectively against the enemy, and especially when it comes to fear, you're going to have to learn some verses. The wonderful thing about being led by the Holy Spirit is that we can go to the glossary or we can go to the vocabulary and we can see what terms he uses. We can familiarize ourselves with the statements he's going to throw at us. The Holy Spirit speaks a language. It's called scripture. And if you want to hear his voice, learn scriptures because Jesus said, he will repeat to you everything you have heard from me and the Father. Well, that's the scripture. And so he throws it back at us. And if you want to be powerful in resisting temptation and resisting fear, remember the scripture. Just read the scripture. Now I want to say something about that. You know, when I read my Bible, very rarely do I ever sit down and say, Oh, wow. Oh, man, the power. Awesome. Oh, wow. Most of the time I read and not a whole lot happens. <laughs> it's kind of like loading up your gun. You put the bullet in the chamber. You never say, oh, wow. Did you hear that? <laughs> if you're hearing something when you're loading your gun, you don't need, you don't need to be loading a gun. <laughs> The bang happens when it, the bullet comes out. And the bullet's not coming out when you're there loading up. So when you're reading your Bible and you say, I don't feel anything, good, you're not supposed to. That'd be like somebody saying, I've been putting bullets in this gun all day and I hadn't heard a bang yet. You don't want to hear a bang when you're loading the gun. You're loading up scripture. You're putting it into your spirit. And when you need it most, God will bring it back to you. So remember now, there was no sword and there was no spear in the hands of any of the men of Israel. In that same place in Ephesians chapter 6, and, and by the way, there's seven parts to this armor, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, loins girt about with truth, feet shod, preparation of the gospel of peace, and a shield of faith. All those are defensive, but they're two offensive weapons. One is the sword of the Spirit, which is the spoken word of God. But then he finishes, and he says in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Paul doesn't make the the final connection here. But the reason that he didn't is because it was so conspicuous, so obvious to anyone of his day that he was talking about spears. Because the one thing that the Roman soldier had lots of were spears. He didn't just have one kind of spear. They carried loads of spears. They carried loads of spears into battle. If you were riding a horse, you carried a 16-foot-long lance that would allow you to stick somebody from horseback. The Spanish conquistadors borrowed that from the Romans. 
They brought it to North America and the Indians of North America saw them and one tribe in particular picked up what the Spanish did, what they got from the Romans, and it was the Comanches, and they too carried a 16-foot lance. Other Indian tribes used spears they threw, but the Comanches had one that was lethal that they never let go of. They would stick you from horseback. And so this 16-foot lance was one of many spears that could be used. The Roman soldiers also had a thing called a pike, it was a spear that was too heavy to throw. It had the amazing strength to stop a horse at a dead run. And if you were on the ground on foot and a cavalry charge came at you, you would take that pike, plant your foot, hold that spear down by your foot and hold it at a 45 degree angle and any fool would ride into you full speed on horseback is going to see his horse thrust through with this big pike. They had javelins, which were aerodynamic, that you could throw and they would stay in the air. They knew there was a certain length and a certain weight that made them more aerodynamic. And so they had all of these different weapons. We have all kinds of prayers. We have the prayer of worship. We have the prayer of agreement where two of us join together. We have the prayer of intercession where we pray for people that don't even know that they need prayer. We have the prayer of faith where we claim a verse in the Bible that the Holy Spirit quickens to us and we take to the throne of God with all confidence. We've got all kinds of prayer. We've got the prayer of consecration. Lord, if it be your will, we have so many different kinds of prayer. And so there was no spear and no sword in the hands of the army of Israel. If you want to be effective, you've got to learn. You've got to learn to use your weapons. Look at this one. Another place in the Old Testament that is so worth reading. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 9 and 10. It's talking about the mighty men of David. And they're giving the list of these guys. They've talked about two of them, and then they come to number three. And next to him was Eliezer, the son of Dodei the Ahoite. As one of the three mighty men, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pasdamim for battle. But the men of Israel retreated. The only guy left to fight was Eliezer. He stood his ground and he struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. Listen to the last part of it. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eliezer, but only to strip the dead. Wait a minute, I'm confused. It was Eliezer who did the fighting and he fought all day long so he couldn't even relax his grip. The sword was stuck in his hand, but the Bible says that God brought about a great victory that day. So who is it, Eliezer or God? It's both. And what I want you to see is God fights when you fight. When you fight, God fights. When you stand, God stands. When you go to battle, God goes to battle. When you use the weapon and put the weapon onto the attacker, God fights through your weapon. I'm going to close this with a story. 
I fought the battle of my life, told this story maybe a hundred times. My oldest daughter was nine years old. We were playing basketball in a warehouse. I heard a scream, ran around the corner to see her holding her head. She was playing hide-and-go-seek with a bunch of other kids in the warehouse and crawling on some boxes about the seven-foot level. One of the boxes was empty, but it was taped. She couldn't tell it was empty. It looked full. She put her hand on it. It collapsed beneath her weight. She lost her balance, rolled off, landed head first on the floor. We found out the next morning that she had a massive, massive blood clot on her brain. I remember standing at the door of the examination room at the clinic where we took her, and the technician handed me with an ashen white face a manila envelope full of CAT scan results and said, Mr. George, take these across the street to the emergency room. I've already called them. They're expecting you to come. Your daughter needs to go now. I said, you know, I, 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 I hadn't had a chance to shower. Now, you don't have time to shower. You go now. We got to the emergency room across the street, and immediately we were met by the doctors. They normally don't do that, but they took us up to intensive care. And a doctor came in, a neurosurgeon came in and said, Mr. George, has anyone spoken to you about these cats and results? I assume you've seen them. I said, no, I hadn't seen anything. He said, your daughter has a massive blood clot on her brain. Looks to be about a, maybe an inch thick. It's as big as her hand. It's right above her left eye. He said, I'm shocked that she's still conscious. He said, it's got to be evacuated. We're going to bring some papers in, have you sign them, but we got to do surgery now. When he said those words, you can imagine, you can imagine what was going through my mind. Every negative thought that you could possibly think about your girl, it came to my head. I saw her dead. I saw the funeral. I saw the aftermath of the funeral. I saw my wife walking down the hall of our home, looking into the bedroom where our oldest girl's bed used to be. I saw my wife collapsing in grief, sliding down the face of the door. Even though they fought like cats and dogs, I saw the funeral where my two sons were bawling their eyes out because their sister was dead. I saw myself being grieved and brokenhearted because the little girl that we so looked forward to having who came, who brightened our home, she died. I dared not say a word, but I was looking for God. God, where are you? And can I tell you the folly of asking the question, why did this happen? Who cares? Let's fix it. Let's not find blame. She fell. So what? Let's get an answer. Let's not worry about why. I don't have time to mess with why. And so I listened. I didn't hear a trumpet blow. I didn't hear a loud voice from heaven. I heard a still small voice. And this is what it said. 
Jesus said, if you say unto this mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea and shall not doubt in your heart, but shall believe those things you say shall come to pass, you'll have whatever you say. I knew that verse. That's Mark 11, 23. I learned it 20 years before. I had never one time ever used that verse in any prayer, but I knew it. And so I said under my breath, Jesus said, if you say unto this mountain, be removed, be cast the sea, and shall not doubt in your heart, shall believe those things you say will come to pass. You'll have whatever you say. You know what was so cool about it? I didn't realize it at the time. The Holy Spirit was speaking to me, and he wasn't charged up. He didn't have to say, I'm going to kill you. He just did it. Really calm. It's the calm ones you got to watch out for. And so the Holy Spirit said, Jesus said, do you say unto this mountain, be removed? I started saying it with him. I didn't say it where anybody could hear it. I didn't even say it to my wife. But when I would say that verse, I'm in total peace, total peace. I mean, all of the fears go away. But then the minute I quit talking, they came right back. I thought, okay, this is gonna be one of those battles where my hand sticks to the sword. See, a lot of people think that if you're really strong in faith, you're a super Christian. You speak once, twice, and the devil just runs off. But I'm not one of those. I've had to go into some lengthy battles before. But I would speak the word and I'd have great peace. Never one time did I tell my wife what happened. I said, my daughter will live and not die. They will evacuate the blood clot. They'll get it off her brain. There'll be no problems, no complications. In fact, we're going home from the hospital early because Jesus said, if you say unto this mountain, be removed and be cast in the sea. Shall not doubt in your heart, but shall believe those things that you say will come to pass. You'll have whatever you say. You know, that verse is structured in an amazing way. I thought, who? Well, Jesus obviously knew what he was talking about. But he said, you shall not doubt in your heart. How do you know when you're doubting in your heart? How do you know? Can you tell if a doubt is only in your head or is it in your heart? How do you know? Can you tell when something comes to your head or it's just in your heart or in your heart or in your head? How do you know? Listen to the verse. It defines itself. That if you shall say unto this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and shall not doubt in your heart, but shall believe those things that you say shall come to pass, you will have whatever you say. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Doubt starts out up here. And it wants to get down into your heart. But to get there, it's got to ride the elevator past this floor. And I never let him get to this floor. Not one time. Not one time in two days did I ever say anything negative. And at the end of the whole thing, when we were dismissed from the hospital early, and when everything was clear, 
And when the doctor told me, Mr. George, we lose kids who have blood clots only the size of a quarter, your daughter's was an inch thick and as big as her hand. But we won. And here's what I want you to see. My wife said, Willie, I didn't get too excited about this because you didn't. I could tell you weren't bothered by this at all. I said, oh yeah, baby. It was nothing like you think. Really? I would never have known it. You know what happened? I kept her from becoming upset because I never got upset. My faith built her faith, which in turn came back and built my faith. We just ratcheted each other up till we walked out of there on cloud nine and we won. I didn't do it. It was my weapon that did it. I learned it's not how enthusiastic you are. It's not how motivated you are. It's not how angry you are at the devil. It's whether or not you put the tool to the problem. That, my friends, is how we win. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you for the privilege I've had to come and teach this word to these special people and to be a part of this great church whose future is so unbelievable. The half has not been seen. And Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.